This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. What's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates the Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That's ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the code BXP. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and we want to just thank our sponsors of this podcast, Scrivener, the official writing app of the bestseller experiment. If you haven't experienced the magic of this amazing writing tool, pop on over to literatureandlatte.com for your 30-day free trial. And if you're looking for some guidance along the way, if you want something you can take with you wherever you go, then don't forget to pop over to our website and discover the Writer's Vault of Gold. This is a completely free ebook uh, that you can download in PDF or EPUB form. Uh, and it has advice from the likes of Joanne Harris, Michael Connolly, Joe Abercrombie, and many, 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 many more. And it's updated every week with uh, advice from new authors that we interview. And this, this is gold. If you've got a smartphone, you'll have an EPUB reader on there. You can take this anywhere you go. So uh, pop over to the website, just uh, sign up to the uh, the bestseller list, our mailing list, and you will receive your copy upon return. Absolutely. So bestseller.com. And if you are looking to try and crush your word count this month, we put together a quick book, which is called How to Write a Book in a Month. And we've basically distilled all of the information from our bestseller guests and people that have managed to write books every single month. And there are some amazing practical tips there to dive in. So pop over to the website for more information on that. Well, you say we, this is your debut book, isn't it, Mark? Well, it kind of is, yeah. Yeah, this is this kind is of... your this is your baby because you wrote all this, and I had the joy of editing it. You sent it. <laughs> uh, Mark sent it over to me as if to say, "Oh, just check it for typos." Oh, I went to town on it. It was <laughs> joyous. I got to play editor and leave you all sorts of little notes, and uh, well, I hope you found them helpful. Is, <laughs> all I can say is it was brilliant getting that feedback. But your word count in comments was more than my word count in the book. <laughs> It was fun. I just want to prepare you for the brutalities of what is to come. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I came out battered and bruised, but we, we, you know, I think as a result, there's a much, much, much better book. Excellent. I always say to people, whenever people joke about my spelling, and I must admit, I, I am. Oh, um, man. Your spelling. I do tend to, to hype too quickly. I can spell perfectly. I'm just a bad proofreader. Yeah, all the letters are there, just not necessarily in the right order. In the right order. Exactly. The bestseller experiment spell checker in full force, as you can see. Um, so... But we, it's, I found it, I thought it's really important as I go on this journey, you know, through trying to write this book, that the, the, the novel that we publish, the novel that everyone's been ask, asking us about on, on email and Facebook, isn't actually the very first book I finish. I wanted to get past that, so I'm now on the home stretch. But the reason we're putting together a, a special today, a special episode, is we are getting a lot of people asking us about our book. And we haven't really talked much about what's going on, and there's a reason for that. But this episode, we're going to start to reveal the processes that we're going through, because we really think that it will help people in the process you go through with books. So Mark, um, let, let's let's start from the beginning and, and just talk about uh, you know how we decided how the process and how it changed actually over time and how we're actually going to plot the story yeah well it it kind of started we we realized we have to write together and we have to write about something that we like and that we're both going to be passionate about and i think one interesting thing you did which i've never done before and i think it's i think it's worth trying is is you put together uh, a grid of all the things that you like all your favorite movies favorite songs favorite music uh you know th- things that you've done that were extraordinary blah 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 and i was able to look at you and get it i mean i've known you for yonks but i don't know you know you you know it's and it's it, mm. it gave me an insight to the kind of person you you are uh and for you know amazingly i'm still here so <laughs> uh, even the cold play didn't put me off um and <laughs> Uh, but we found some common ground there, which I thought was good. That We got chatting about certain themes and certain ideas. And even though we disagree on, or it's, disagree is too strong a word, we have different points of view about life. I mean, we talked about mm. spirituality and religion and, uh, you know, certain beliefs. And, you know, we, we're not in opposition necessarily, but we just have different points of view. And, uh, yeah. but even through that, we've, brought together some ideas that are going to be really strong themes through the book that we're writing. And uh, because of that, I think the the book is that much stronger. And so from there, we got an initial idea. We got an idea for uh, our, our protagonist and we got ideas for our antagonist and the situations they could be in. And now we have, uh, we have a story that we're working on. Yeah, and it's quite incredible. And actually... If, you know, even though we're talking about having r- planned this together, I think it still applies. It's a really interesting exercise to do if you're just sitting down with a new idea for a book. Actually create a spreadsheet. Um, maybe actually, Mark, will upload the template on the website for people to download. But it, it, does, it doesn't just talk about the things that you love in terms of films, movie, you know, music, all the different things, that, that the kind of art side of things. It also talked about things that we passionately want to stand for in our lives. Yeah. We talked about things that drive us nuts. Yeah. And that was really interesting. And, and I think it's an exercise that any author can do before they start their book to try and draw out what are the kind of core themes that they might want to talk about? People often talk about themes in books as something they either start with a theme as an idea for a, for a story or they discover their theme 
you know, the core underlying theme of a book as they're writing it, or even at the end of the novel, they read it and think, ah, the theme is... Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, you know, a writer doesn't wake up and say, I am going to write about racism today because I loathe racism and it makes me angry because you're just going to end up with a, a polemical book that is just a rant. But if you if we discover that there's something we're both passionate about or that we feel angry about or puts a fire in our belly, you know, then then thematically we know that that we can work around that and then we can start investing a character with that, you know. So it's it's not it's not yeah. just about ideas, it's about putting those ideas into characters that will then generate an interesting story. And I found that those fundamental things that we've both latched onto almost independently as we as we starting to as we plotted the book out, there there's some big things that we're tackling with this book. I mean, the book is entertainment, you know, if you were to read it. But some of the underlying themes that we're going to be tackling, um, you know, there, there's a bigger message beneath what's happening in the story. And for me from where I come from, that really helps me drive the story forward because I keep I, I keep on thinking about what's the underlying message. And that's what excites me about what a reader might get from beyond just the kind of enjoyment, hopefully, of reading the book. But what might they get from the book that they can, you know, might reflect in their own life? I, I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I, th- I don't think you want to come out to bat with a message, you know, uh, who was it? Was it Jack Warner who said, if I want a message, I'll, I'll use Western Union, you know, uh, but... I think you have to be driven by that. But when you're selling the book to your readers, you want to sell them something that's entertaining, a situation that's fun. So, you know, Back to the Future is about family uh, and, you know, your ties to your family and, and, you know, failures in life and rectifying those failures. But it was sold to us as this fantastic time travel movie. So people go, oh, that's brilliant. I'd love to go back uh, in time and see my dad at school. They don't say, this is a movie about your father and your mother and your ties to them and the blah, 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 because you, you just wouldn't go to see it, you know? I mean, you know, Jaws, uh, if you listen to the Kermode and Mayo podcast, they always go about, Jaws isn't about the shark. It's not about the shark. It's about these three men who go out to catch the shark and they're very differing points of view, you know, and, and their lives. Yeah. Um, but you can't sell a movie on that. So I think you've got that, that, the, those, Absolutely. it works on two levels. So our story will be about X, but bubbling underneath the hood will be all this other stuff that you and I care about very, very much. Mm. So let's break this down because I think it's really important to start talking about the process we've been through and actually how we've been influenced by our guests. And one of the things, the first big thing that came up for us is we both discovered that we were both plotters. Um, So we should kind of mention that outright that, in fact, you said you plot like a, I think, a mofo. Mofo. (laughs) (laughs) Make me giggle. But I, I thought that was a very interesting thing. I think we might have had struggled if we were both plotters or the other equivalent pantsers which are people who write by the seat of their pants so, Stephen yeah, I, King, I, actually. I misheard you I, I thought you were saying pouncers people who pounce into the story and I thought well that kind of works as a metaphor I suppose um, but no it's p- pants seat to the pants yes thank you yeah, so just I, maybe it's a North American thing but everyone over here in North America which is where I'm based I should mention is everyone talks about plotters v pantsers and Stephen King actually talks about being a pantser is that he, you know, his, his what if for Cujo was, um, you know, what if um, a mother and a, a son get trapped in a car 
with a rabid dog outside. Mm. And, and then he just kind of started writing the story because he was excited to see what might happen and always says, if you know the ending, why would you want to know the ending like before you actually reached it? And so there's this very different thing, but we're both, we're both plotters. And one thing that changed was episode three when we spoke with Shannon, wasn't it? Because originally we were going to write, write the plot and then write the book around the plot. But one tip Shannon gave us is she always likes to pass her plot through somebody else before mm. she really gets into the meat. Yeah. So tell, tell everyone what we're doing around that. Well, it's, it's interesting because our story, we're outlining, and we're doing this through Scrivener as well, so we're outlining, and it's, it's very interesting seeing all those plot beats on that left-hand column on Scrivener. You know, we're labelling them as, uh, we're using the um, John York's, yeah, the Into the Woods. It's it's kind of his um, his his story breakdown. And we're using those as kind of signposts for the story. And what my my worry about just having a very dry outline, and this comes from my screenwriting background as well, is is you know you have to deliver because uh, you're you're answerable to producers and financiers. You know you can you can show them an outline, uh, but they're not going to get it. And it, it's it very. The phrase you hear a lot in screenwriting is it, it's execution dependent. You know, you can pitch someone an idea and they can go, that's a great idea, but can you actually pull it off? And I think the problem with us is, uh, you know, we're we're writing this idea. We're not really telling anyone what it's about yet. Um, and we're going to present it to an editor. And and our idea has certain technical elements which I think would would bog an outline down. So what we've decided to do is write the first three chapters as if they were the book and then write a synopsis for the rest of the book because I think what that does is give you a great idea of the tone. Now, people don't talk about tone nearly enough when, when talking about writing and it gives you an idea of the characters and who they are and how they interact as well. So uh, we've been working on that it's been really, really good fun so far because I'm just I'm just playing with these characters. I'm getting them to talk to each other, argue with each other, get into situations. Um, it's not there's not a lot of texture in there in terms of describing their environments and 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 sort of bringing you bringing you into the book with with like atmosphere and and what have you. But it's it's essentially the characters interacting. And I think if we were to present that to an editor with an extended synopsis, an editor would be able to go, okay, I get this, I get the tone, and I get where the story is going. And then we can have that conversation that Shannon was having with her editor, which is where the editor can go, okay, act two, I don't like this, take this out, move this around, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Shannon's advantage is she's writing series characters and situations. So having written you know, uh, if she's writing book four, five, six in a series, that editor will be familiar with the characters and the tone and the pace. Uh, so I, I think she she has an advantage there and that she can show an outline for her new book to her editor. And all of that weight has, has been lifted, if you like. You know, they know where they're going with that. Whereas with us, mm. we're very much an unknown quantity, writing as a pair. And I think we have, what we're writing is actually, execution dependent and i think we have to basically we have to prove we can bloody write we did hit a brick wall i think we went we came out the gates with this wonderful idea and very quickly started to develop 
you know, plot points and what was going to happen in the story. We then very quickly actually worked out the ending. So we knew where we were heading, which again, that's a big contention, isn't it? Do you work out the ending or not? But I, I'm very much a signpost driven person. If I, if when I coach people in their dreams, I say, you start with the end in mind and you work backwards from that point. It's like, you need to know if you get in a car, you need to know at least the final destination. You can take different routes to get there. But if you don't know the final destination, uh, you could end up just driving in circles. You might find a wonderful destination but the chances are you might get completely lost that that said i'm very open to taking a last minute left turn totally yeah. and even be a completely different that, ending that yeah quite absolutely. a because i think you've got to be open for that have your have your have your x ending in mind but have a you know maybe have a y you know at hand you know it's uh, be open to that idea because i've i've done that a couple of times you know i've i've been surprised by endings it's like having a stake in the ground of knowing are you heading kind of northish yeah 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 as opposed to southish but i think that was kind of an interesting thing we discovered the third thing that was really interesting is that when we when we hit we hit that kind of muddy middle where we had the first half of the book plotted out we had the ending so we knew where we were going and then we had that kind of oh <laughs> honeymoon's over like what happens in that kind of chunk in the kind of i don't know what you call it the the, the two-thirds of the way through maybe where we just thought there's just not enough meat on the bone here well the, the problem is we didn't know the characters and that is one of the big dangers with outlining is if you don't know who your characters are yet you put those stakes in the ground and then your character starts doing stuff because that's what's supposed to happen then and that's why you end up with stories and this happens in movies a lot because movies are primarily outlined first and then written is that your hero will do something two-thirds of the way through and you think well that was kind a that was kind of predictable and b why did they do that it feels out of character, you know? And that's one of the problems with that hero's journey kind of outlining is it can sometimes just suck all the uh, the energy out of the story, suck, you know, take all the, the surprise out of it. So I'm I'm... I felt that we should sit down and get to know our character, get to know our, our, our hero and some of the other people in the story so that when we come round to have another pass at that outline we'll go oh yeah she wouldn't do that she'd do this instead mm. yeah and that was really interesting because that was the response wasn't it you said to me when we so we mark and i get together and have we do podcast sessions obviously like we are now but we also do separate what we call story sessions so we dedicate you know we, we keep the microphones turned off even though i said to mark we should be recording those as well but he's like oh. <laughs> but we keep the microphone. you know don't air your dirty laundry that's true public, yeah yeah you know? but um <laughs> but in terms of, we turn the microphones off and then we we basically focus for an hour sometimes two hours on working through the plot points and there came a point actually last week when and actually it was two weeks ago when, when mark said you know what in order to fill some of those meatier plot points you know in the second half of the novel we actually now need to get to know our characters which is when you suggested that we write these first three chapters and that's been fascinating because i'm already finding that i'm i'm learning so much more about the characters just by sitting and reading what you're writing and then also writing what i'm reading what i'm writing that is already giving me some very clear guidelines about how that character would react in certain situations and that's something that's new to me as you know as somebody's kind of getting into writing uh, as a as a kind of a creative skill and i thought i'm finding that whole 
that whole journey fascinating that there comes a point even if you do plot that maybe writing these first three chapters and whether you know much of it remains in the actual book itself or i'm sure it will but um but writing those first three chapters at this point in the journey has suddenly opened open doors for ideas further down so you know it's an interesting thing that we kind of should document as this is these are the stages that that we've written yeah. our book and then other people yeah. can maybe try try it out for themselves and see if it works for them yeah and you know stephen king can sit down and write cujo from scratch because stephen king i i'm pretty sure the guy knows what he's doing uh he's even at an early stage in his career he was he was pretty you know he he kind of knew his craft you know uh yeah. whereas we're still not only are we finding our feet as writers we're still finding out about each other and um that's uh i think if we were just to sit down and write you know chapter one it was a dark and stormy night or whatever it would be a disaster an absolute disaster uh i i think you know we, we would have got nowhere fast so i think we're so far we're we're kind of on track although it's not all been plain sailing has it mark no no <laughs> i think it's been you know i think this is the true test of the book and the journey that we're on because obviously like you said before we come from very different backgrounds um in terms of you know our, our philosophies about life and some of the things that we've chosen to focus on in, in terms of you know I, I i love to read personal development books books about spirituality i'm fascinated in all of that and you're we've had these kind of conversations you're very much more of the scientist approach and and rational you can explain it rational i'm rational rational and everything can be ultimately explained by science no no and this is no, great look, here we go again no <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I I like the fourteen times I subscribe to the fourteen times where it, that says you know weird shit happens in the world, but you know we shouldn't immediately say that because there's you know a cold shivering feeling and you can hear a banging pipe that doesn't mean it's a ghost, you know we immediately yeah. jump to these we we create narratives that we latch onto, um, so yeah I, I I like to think I'm a rational person who. I mean, in my sort of early twenties to my mid thirties, I was I was that kind of oh, if you believe in ghosts, you're a complete idiot. I've relaxed a bit more <laughs> in in my, in my middle age, <laughs> um, you know. But uh, some stuff still makes me angry, and uh, but you know, it's each to their own, man. Each to their own. That's the spice. That's the spice because you know, I come when I when I get you know, I'm the classic guy when I see something happen. I see it way more than just a coincidence and I'm always looking for the bigger message in the universe, which I know makes you laugh your head off, but that's where I come from. And I've experienced some incredible stuff in my life, which I can't explain. Um, but things have happened through premonitions, intuition, all that kind of stuff. So I think what's going on looking I'm at Mark down the camera shaking like, my head. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> yes. if you want to believe that, but we live in a cold, desolate, uncaring universe and just enjoy it while you can that's what i say <laughs> do you know what's really lovely about this is that when people read our book <laughs> they're gonna hear these yeah, voices absolutely. coming through and it's gonna be great because actually it's quite hard i think it takes a very special author to be able to emotionally remove themselves when they're just writing by themselves to emotionally remove themselves from their own belief system and get into the mindset of the character who might be completely opposite. I to think it's think. absolutely essential. If you're going to be a writer, you're going to have to be the kind of person who can hold two opposing views in your head and, and, and speak with a voice that, I mean, you know, if you can write 
a, if you can write a villain, you know, maybe it's a racist, homophobic, you know, sexist, misogynic villain. That doesn't mean that's who you are. But if you can step into those shoes for a bit, I mean, that's where, you know, my acting background, I loved acting. And of course, most actors will love playing the villain because you you get to step into the, the shoes of someone else for a short while. And for me, that's that's a lot of the fun of writing is is getting into the, you know, behind the the eyes of that that character and looking at the world through their viewpoint and saying, my God, this is weird. This is strange. But it's also compelling you know so it's uh you you don't want to you don't want to make things bland in your writing you want to take them to extremes and that means looking at opposing views taking on opposing views and incorporating them into your story and i think that's a it's a it's a lesson you certainly see it in a lot of you know writers who are just starting out where their characters are kind of boring and inoffensive and i think if you you know if you think of Take a great thriller like Silence of the Lambs. You know, what did Thomas Harris do to get inside the mind of someone like Hannibal Lecter? Which is what that book is all about. And Red Dragon as well, which arguably is a better book. Um, you know, getting into the mind of someone. That's why people read that book and told all their friends about it. Because they said, you have to read this. It's about, you see the world through the eyes of a serial killer. It's incredible. So, you know, Thomas Harris... Lovely man, I'm sure. You know, not a serial killer, but writes compellingly about them. And that's that's how he had a bestseller. It makes me think, actually, Mark, when you were talking about acting, it's made me really just realise that an author is not just the director of the play. They also have to get on stage and play every single character and know, mm. like you say, get behind the eyes of that character and see the scene from that character's perspective. Yeah, And that's an incredible incredible challenge yeah which is a great thing i mean it stretches most people but um it, it, in some ways it is that analogy of, of having to be all things to all people and embracing that rather than like you say taking the easy route um and then being non-conflict based yeah. um is is really important so yeah i think that's a really good point yeah and if if you are you know try and do a pass for your book for each of your characters you know uh, try and see the scene from their point of view try and give them the best line in the chapter you know and if you do that with all of them you're going to have dialogue that is zinging you know if uh, i mm-hmm. i've done that with scripts i've d- i've done that with the books as well the difference with scripts is uh, you eventually have to hand it over to an actor who will interpret it in their own way. And I, I guess with a book, you give it to a reader who will have that experience in their own head, you know, and you have no control over that. But I, I think it's up to you to make it as interesting as possible. And the other thing, of course, when you're an author is, you know, you're also the set designer, the costume designer, you know, you, you have to, mm. you're the uh, second unit action director, <laughs> you know, you have to do mm. all of these things uh which you know when you're writing a screenplay someone else eventually has to do um so that was certainly writing the robot overlords book was um you know i my first draft that i handed into Gillian at galantz her big note to me was more texture you know think about uh people the thing that you know the things they see the things they smell the, the things they touch uh, and for me that was a huge learning curve you know just just because you don't put those into a script you don't you can't you can't smell when you're in the cinema unless it's one of those wonderful smell-o-vision films you know you you well i don't know about you i smell the person's cheesy nachos in front of me which make me want to vomit <laughs> i mean um, you what you see is up on the screen anyway uh and you know you never talk about 
touch or texture and when you're writing a script because it's just not something that the you know the 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 the, the cinema goer experiences but in books you have to put all that stuff in and i'm very um do you think that's quite i was gonna say is it quite usual do you think that you know, you do your first draft and a lot of the kind of subtleties of the textures and the senses comes in future Yeah, well, drafts. that's what I'm doing now. I mean, certainly that those opening chapters that we're working on, there's hardly any of that in there. And I, I know that yeah. when I, yeah, when I, when I get, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of action, a lot of uh, inner monologue kind of stuff. Um, so it gives the reader an idea of the characters and where the story is going. And I know that when we go back to that again, one of the things I would like to do is is just, you know, look at, try and put yourself in the room uh, and it helps you know if you've got something set in uh, a field or you know go to a field go there take a notebook with you make some notes uh, if it's set in a in a bar uh, with a band playing for example go to a bar where there's a band playing just make little notes because it, again it's that thing of being truthful uh, because again if you try and do it just from your head you're going to trot out the usual kind of cliches and tropes whereas if you go and you're observant and you make little notes, then I think you'll notice things that uh, you might not have noticed before that will resonate with the reader and the guy, oh yeah, I know where this is now. I'm, I'm in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is quite, I think, quite different. I'd be interested to hear from anyone on Facebook, you know, come to our Facebook page, Bestseller Experiment on Facebook, and, and tell us if you've used this approach, because we'd love to swap some notes with you. But the thing that I've picked up here, which is really interesting, I don't know how many people will know this, but there's a big difference between submitting a fiction idea and submitting a non-fiction idea to a publisher. And with with fiction idea, the tradition is you write the book, you send the book, you do your query letter, etc. The non-fiction route is you send literally a synopsis and maybe the first three chapters. And then the publisher they makes a decision based on if they like what they're seeing and they want to then work with you on the book. We're, we're taking that slightly differently in that instead of using a publisher at that stage, we're almost using the nonfiction approach, but using an editor as part of our inner team to guide us as to, are we on track before we go through the whole book and then get told at the end, oh, look, there's some really fundamental things. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason that happens in nonfiction is very often it's a proposal, an idea, and then the author of that nonfiction book has to go off and do sometimes years of research. And they might come back with a book that's slightly different, but that's the exciting thing about nonfiction because if you're doing a – if you're going into archives, uh, say on you know the Romanovs or something like that, and you come back and you've discovered something completely new, uh, then uh, that, that – which is, you know, because we publish, um, uh, uh, Orion, we publish Simon Seabag Montefiore, he's a brilliant nonfiction writer. And he went to Russian archives and discovered all sorts of new stuff about the Romanovs. And it's made his book 10 times richer. Now, if he'd have, you know, if you're writing nonfiction and, and you don't have the money or the resources to go and research that, then your book will never get made. So that's, that's a different arrangement in nonfiction. But in taking that, I mean, we've stolen this idea essentially from Shannon, where we're, well, why not? That's what this podcast is all about. Um, stealing, 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 <laughs> stealing from other from people. Other people. Or like being inspired. You'd say inspired by, yeah. Sharing, yeah. sharing like if, in the if love. it works, you know, steal from the best. Um, and, you know, instead of going, we would never take this to a publisher because it, it just won't be in the condition to do it. But it's if you show it to an editor and say, look, this isn't finished, but here's an idea of the tone and the characters and the pace and here's an outline for the rest of it. 
what do you think? And they can accept it being a sort of industry professional. They can accept it on those terms and they can say, yeah, this works. That doesn't work. You might want to turn that around, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, there'll be a future episode to this podcast where you and I will be coming back reeling from the notes that we've received from the editor, uh, thinking, oh, God, we've got a hell of a lot of work to do. Because we are the crash test authors. So part of the experience of the bestseller experiment is we want to go through these different processes to kind of explain the pros and the cons. Like we're not, we're absolutely not saying the way we're doing it is the correct or the wrong way of doing it, but it's really, it's the experience of what we, what we um, find in the experiment in the lab, so to speak. Yeah. And, and uh, if we hadn't spoken to Shannon, then I probably wouldn't be doing it this way. Mm. So that's, you know, and I think there will be people out there writing their book who who might want to consider doing that too. And yeah. again, if you are, get in touch. Let us know how it went. Let us know what you learned. Let us know if it made your book better, which I'm sure it did because feedback, you know, from a professional can only make your book better. Absolutely. So, Mark, we've got a question of the week this week. Yes. Okay, yeah. This is um, from Paddy, who I know, actually. Paddy Eason, he did the visual effects on Robot Overlords, and he's a pretty good writer himself. I've co-written a script with him, and yeah, I know he's working on a, a script of his own at the moment as well. And uh, it's an interesting question about genre, and this kind of ties in a bit to our book. Without giving too much away, it is set in the real world, but there is a little bit of genre in there as well. And... Um, Paddy says, says, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and superheroes, they used to be niche genres for loser geeks. Uh, but since Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Harry Potter, Marvel, etc., they've become utterly mainstream. Are there any niches left unmined? And it got me thinking. I, I, I wondered if Paddy was, you know, wanted to be opportunistic and maybe find a gap in the market and exploit it. But that, to me, kind of flies in the face of all the advice that we've had, which is, write what you love don't try and be someone else don't try and write gone girl if you've not read gone girl and i still haven't read gone girl and i actually uh, started it last week funny enough did you really <laughs> i did yeah typical <laughs> but i think if if what you love has a readership then i think you need to go and find that readership and you know talking to shannon she said she writes in urban fantasy which uh, is a subgenre but it's, uh, you know, its readers are extremely passionate about that. So, you know, and I would advise people to maybe go to Amazon or Netflix is another one. I've got a friend, um, Sam Hawley, who works in film sales. And she always says to us screenwriters, she says, go to Netflix, look at the genres. If you're pitching me a story that doesn't fit into one of those genres, it's not going to be sold. And that's kind of the hard-nosed movie uh, way of things. So if you're saying, well, it's a kind of you know, uh, rom-com uh, mashup of zombies and uh, uh, time travel. That doesn't exist on uh, Netflix. You have to say, is it science fiction or is it a rom-com? Primarily, it needs to be one or the other when you're pitching it, when you're selling it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a spanner in the works yeah. here from where I come from. You, you love these, don't you, Mark? Oh, yeah, I can see you're just yeah. anticipating that. <laughs> I, it's a really great question from Paddy because I, this comes up so many times in the music industry for me as well. At least like what, what genre of music are you, you know, what's your, are you hip hop, rap, rock, chill out? And I've come to the conclusion that genres as a, as a main, a main thing is that they are for people 
to pigeonhole something. It's for indexing purposes. And therefore, maybe a writer should just write the story and then at the end of the story say, well, look, I've got several, I'm crossing several different genres. What's the main genre? Because there's always, I think there's subgenres, and, and that's what they then index it in, in, you're, in Amazon. You're or absolutely Netflix. right. I will agree with you here. But where you say pigeonhole, it also helps the end user it select. Yes. It helps them select it. So, and, and, and you need to make a decision one way or another where your readership lies. So is your story a rom-com primarily, or is it science fiction? Which is it going to appeal to more? Now, we talked about Back to the Future earlier. Now, there are comedy elements to that. There are thriller elements to that. Um, but it was sold as a science fiction adventure, time travel, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, mm -hmm. And because of that, it's, it's you know, people went to see it. Science fiction was very big in the 80s, still is now, you know, but with a high concept to it as well. So uh, I, I would agree. I, I, I would say when you're setting out, write whatever the hell you want, write what you're passionate about, you know, uh, don't feel you need to be pigeonholed. I think that's very dangerous. But when, yeah. certainly on your second draft, your third draft, and when you're thinking of marketing it, and of course, marketing is something we're going to talk about a lot more in future episodes episodes when we eventually finish this thing uh try and think about who you're selling it to who your readers are you know try and find out who they are where they go and what they respond to and if your readers respond to science fiction or if they respond to uh you know uh, romance or whatever then target them with that yeah absolutely and when when you send out press releases whether it's for whether it's for music you know albums that you write or or books the, the having that having that main genre is actually hugely helpful to the journalist because if they you don't want to make their life hard you're not saying to them well you know it's completely unique and it is a mixture of three different genres you've got mm -hmm. to pick one and and just remember that you know it's for external purposes only it's to help readers discover you on amazon it's to help journalists know which you know which which journalists they send the book to to review because journalists say well i'm a you know i, I review sci-fi or i review yeah. romance and so it's all for external marketing purposes you go you go and just write what you want to write and then see which genre emerges the other danger of saying i'm a sci-fi writer is i think that can box a writer into just writing within the sci-fi realm and if someone does want to write you know, a, a, a zombie, zombie meets time travel, then go for it. And, and then work out, well, is it apocalyptic or is it, um, you know, a, a time travel thriller? And, and then everything kind of emerges from that. So, yeah, I mean, have a look on Amazon. Have, on the left-hand side in, in the books section of Amazon, you'll see all the genres listed. And just try and, or just step into a bookshop and look around the bookshop and think, where would they put my book on the shelf yeah. where would they categorize me in amazon and i think that does help give you some kind of focus when you're writing your book and who that book is for like i say write whatever the hell you want but ultimately someone has to find it and read it and, and discover it and then tell other people about it as well do you know a funny thing i always when i'm coaching musicians particularly in recording artists i the question i give them and you can almost take this into the book world is i say Imagine your favorite ever festival, you know, what is it, Glastonbury, is it Coachella, is it, you know, what's your favorite festival that you'd love to play at? Now, 
imagine who else will be playing on the same bill as you you know mm. who's going to be appearing on that stage on that day and that's the same kind of idea it's on that bookshelf it's like which authors do you want to appear with who would you like your peers to be and uh, and that that really helps people kind of define their genre more through the authors they love and and aspire to to, to be be a part of um then specifically what genre they're going to be stuck in yeah yeah Excellent stuff. So, Mark, quick motivational minute on that because I think it's it, it brings something up for me with regards to um, labelling. And I think one of the things I find in coaching is I find a lot of people get very stuck on labels. They define their life by the labels that they've been given as kids, teachers gave them, parents gave them. Labels are, even our names, this is the irony, even our name is just a label. Like, what if your parents at the last minute decided to change your name from Mark to Oliver, which was in the case almost happened with me. Mm. And, you know, I would, I wouldn't be Mark. I would be this guy called Oliver, but it's just a label. So try it to be labelless when you write. That means letting go of whether you're a specific genre writer, uh, whether it's, you know, if you're, if you're a male, it doesn't matter if you're writing from a female perspective or vice versa. Don't, don't think because you're a male, you can't write a female story. So experiment with removing and tearing off the label and seeing what's uncovered up beneath, because ultimately this whole journey that we're on, whether it's writing a book uh, or, or trying to work out what our life purpose is about it's it's ultimately a discovery of experience and emotion. And if you have those two things in your, every book that you write and every character you create, it's going to carry your book. It's going to carry your book way beyond even a great plot. So think about removing that label, connecting with emotion. Emotion doesn't have a label, whether you're male, female, dogs, cats. It's 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 something that everything everyone feels. I don't know if you agree with that, Mark. Uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. Yeah, a couple of points there. One, one is um, one of my favourite books growing up, and I gave a copy to my son this year because he turned fourteen. Was the Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, aged thirteen and three quarters. Oh, so the, the most yeah. insightful book about being a teenage boy ever written, written by a middle-aged woman. And uh, it's still one. Of, I went back and reread it, and it's just hilarious. It is. It still stands up. It's still fantastic. Um, so you know, it's. I think all stories are human stories. You know, we all connect at a basic human level, one way or the other. Yeah. There are one of the things I love in stories are our specificities. I can't even say it. Um, you know, where things get very specific because I think that can resonate with people as well, uh, and it gives people an experience they might not have had before, but. Ultimately, they're all human stories. I think going on about Oliver, that's really weird because I've got an uncle who's passed away, sadly. Um, to, uh, he's, at his uh, christening, half the family shouted Oliver, the other shouted Tim. So to half the family is Tim and to the other half he was Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's an important one. And I'll just chuck this in there without wanting to take us too down the deep path here, but a lot of the problems in the world that we all see right now is because people are attached to labels. And I'll just leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right there. Very much so. So um, brilliant stuff, Mark. Well, this brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you found this uh, insightful. I know it's probably a little bit frustrating because we're not revealing characters and 
plot lines. We will start to drip feed stuff, but we they always say don't reveal too much of your story whilst you're still working it out yourself. So we will start to drip feed more stuff, but you know we hope that you're finding this useful if you're on this journey with us and, and trying to work on your book. And we're going to start talking a lot more about the process that we're going through, the trials, tribulations, and, and the fun that we're having as well. Yeah, and we've got some amazing guests coming up. We've actually got a bit of a backlog, and we've been interviewing a lot of people and some really big names coming up and some some names you might not have heard of but are just going to blow you away some really really top advice from industry insiders absolutely and don't forget you can download your copy of the writer's vault of gold which is growing exponentially each week with incredible tips from bestsellers there's also the book in a month if you're looking to try to really push through and get that book done regardless of where you're at in your novel what time of year it is and pop along to our website bestsellerexperiment.com and Mark, the social media? Yeah, social media. Get in touch. Send us your questions. Thank you for your question, Paddy. I didn't thank you earlier. That was a good one. That's a, uh, and uh, they come through the website. They come through Facebook page, Bestseller Experiment. They come from at Bestseller XP on the Twitters. Uh, on Pinterest, well, actually, if you're interested in where we're going with the story, I'm putting some pictures up on Pinterest of some of the things that are influencing our story. That's a new board that I've put up on Pinterest there. So I won't tell you what they are, but pop over and have a look and some of those images might pop up on instagram as well at bella best bestseller xp on instagram too yeah you don't go to bella xp you might get something a bit <laughs> not what you're expecting <laughs> she's fantastic uh, that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> listen we can't keep going there at the end of each episode mark this is just wrong so anyway <laughs> Up. So it's not Madam <laughs> Whiplash, look, like uh, not Madam Whiplash ago, this yeah. time around. No, could be. But uh, anyway, we hope you've. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a lot of uh, insights as we have throughout this journey and continue to join us on this journey. Please do rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if yes, you haven't already. Yes. And we look forward to seeing you again same time next week. So it's a goodbye from Mark One. And it's goodbye from Mark Dos. Yeah. Bye bye. Goodbye.